0: Hello, and welcome to Silence, a podcast that gives women a chance to get honest and open about what it's really like surviving and thriving in what often feels like a male-dominated world. All of my guests have been hand-picked from the fields of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, or STEM, where inclusivity and diversity can be a real issue. I know this only too well, having been a mechanical engineer myself for a number of years. I'm Dr. Shanice O'Mara, now a television broadcaster, I've worked on and reported on some cutting-edge technology and innovation over the years, and through my TV work, I've met some incredibly inspiring women from a diverse range of STEM fields. These women are true trailblazers, and I have often felt so empowered myself by learning what they're like as real people, usually when the cameras have been turned off. Each week on Silence, one of these women shares her unique experiences and truth without the usual pressure of having to promote her accomplishments or uphold any image or facade. How? Because all of my guests are deliberately kept anonymous and disguised to ensure that we as listeners are not distracted or even intimidated by the usual kinds of societal labels. The women of STEM on this show have amazingly impressive CVs, but most importantly, they're human, just like the rest of us. And I want to share the inspiration and wisdom that I have enjoyed with them, with you. It's my hope that you really relate to what we chat about today. If so, please do subscribe to Silence and maybe even leave some comments and reviews. I'd love to have your feedback. This week, my guest is in the field of financial planning and investment management. Hi. Hello. How are you?
1: Very good. My pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you so much for coming on the show. I am so excited to learn about your career path because it sounds like it's been a bit zigzaggy. That's right. So how did it all begin?
1: So in high school, um, I was really good at math and science. Like a lot of young people, I, I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do, but my family encouraged me to go into engineering just because of my talent when it comes to the math and science world. And so I did. Um, I went on to get a master's in chemical engineering, which is very hard. Yeah,
0: (laughs) chemistry is so hard. Oh,
1: You know, I actually found physics harder than chemistry though.
0: Did you? Yes. I just couldn't get my head around chemistry.
1: You know, I, I love physics. Um, I'm fascinated with physics, but um, I just had a hard time in the in the physics classes.
0: Yeah, I was the same with chemistry. I loved physics, um, but I, all those molar masses, and it was kind of like a different way of applying maths. It
1: is. It is a different way of thinking.
0: So was it always obvious from a young age that you would end up in some kind of chemistry-based academic path? I don't think so.
1: I think when I was younger, I mean, I, I was just... I always did very well at math and science. I was, you know, always scored in, you know, the top part of the class and everything. But I I really had no idea what I wanted to do when I grew up. I just, I don't know why, but I, I didn't. So even, even going into um, in my last years of high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I even did some job shadowing. My parents set me up so I could do some job shadowing with different people to learn about the different engineering disciplines and what you can do with them. I think from the very beginning, I, I did... Um, signed up for chemical engineering but the whole time I, I wasn't sure even what that meant and what I was going to do when I got done.
0: <laughs> so why did you choose chemistry specifically?
1: I I think it was because I, I liked my high school chemistry teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, she, was, she made it a lot of fun. I mean it is a hard class but even still she made it a, a lot of fun. She had a lot of character and charisma and I think I was drawn to her Um, And so that's the reason why I chose chemistry over, you know, mechanical or something. else. Yeah.
0: So I guess she was like a role model.
1: Yes, she was.
0: Yeah. What other role models did you have growing up and, and how did they kind of spark your interest in essentially STEM?
1: I don't feel like I spent a lot of time around adults growing up. My dad was in the military. And so we traveled, um, we, you know, we lived all over the world and we moved quite often. And um, so I didn't spend much time around my extended family growing up. And so I I think a lot of the times, especially living on military bases, um, the safety and the security there is, is pretty good. And so we just, I just, from morning till night, would spend time with my friends. So I don't know that I necessarily had a lot of... I I guess, you know, if you think about some of the uh, work that you do in school, Amelia Earhart really um, fascinated me. Really, yeah. And what she did.
0: Yeah, I'm always so curious about historical role models because sometimes I think that it's so much more compelling to see contemporary role models. But actually, I've talked to enough women and girls to now be convinced that, you know, historical role models are as effective sometimes.
1: Yeah, I think I was really impressed with her courage.
0: Really? What about that? To
1: go out and, and do what she did on her own. Right. Just, just, I, I mean, I would never fly across the Atlantic or any other ocean <laughs> with me in charge of the plane. That would be yeah. very intimidating.
0: So I'm getting the impression that, You know, you were really good at STEM subjects, and that's probably why you pursued it. Is that right?
1: It is. I I think I didn't know what I wanted to do as an adult. And um, since I was good at the STEM subjects, and I was encouraged by other people to go into engineering, I just Mm. did that.
0: But what about your peers, you know, your friends and the people you were hanging out with? Did they all follow the same career path? Or were you quite different in that sense?
1: No, I think I was quite different in that sense. Um, I I had friends that were in the higher math and science classes in high school, but um, they were more of just acquaintances in the class. The people that I hung out with outside of school um, were not in my classes. And a lot of them went on to be business majors and um, go into sales and things like that.
0: I mean, I'm trying to get a feel for like, what kind of kid you were? <laughs> like, it doesn't sound like you were very alone.
1: No, no. I always, um, being again on military bases, you get a new best friend every year, either you move <laughs> or they move right. every year. And, um, really it, it was, uh, a lot of times it, we, we just would go out and do stuff together all the time. So we would ride our bikes around the, the, the military base mm. Um, when we lived in Germany, that was really neat. We'd actually go off the military base and, and take the German Strasse to to go to the, the German malls or the German swimming pools. Mm. Um, so, so somewhat adventurous in that I always like to be outside and always doing something.
0: It's unusual in the sense that sometimes, I mean, I hate to stereotype like this, but there is some kind of correlation between being quite introverted and being really into science. I don't have stats on that. But in my experience, sometimes STEM children do tend to be quite shy, but it doesn't sound like you were one of those. Why do you think that was?
1: I don't think that I was shy. Um, I, I do think I'm an interesting extrovert, though, in that I'm not... I'm not the life of the party. If you get me in a room with, you know, 50 people, I'm not the life of the party or anything like that. Um, my energy definitely does come from being around other people, mm-hmm. but it's people that I have a close relationship with. Right. So if you actually do throw me into a room with 50 people, I don't know. Um, it That does take more energy to feel comfortable and um, to feel outgoing. I'm, I'm definitely... More outgoing with people I know than with people I don't know.
0: Right. So, how has that characteristic sort of affected you going into the world of chemical engineering?
1: I don't know. Um, you know, when I, when I was in uh, in college, I would say about half the class were women and, and half the class were men. Oh, wow. So it was about 50 50 in my college.
0: Is that a typical statistic for chemistry?
1: I think so. I think going into the fields, I think it is almost, you know, 50-50 going into the engineering fields, or at least in chemical engineering, maybe not so much in, maybe not in electrical or computers Mm. or um, mechanical, but in the chemical engineering, I think it is pretty close to 50-50. But what I did find, though, is in terms of the percentages, is that a lot of my girlfriends that I graduated with, once they started having a family, Mm. they stopped working. Right.
0: Yeah. Actually, you are right. Like I, I have um had recent experiences with um chemist- chemical engineering departments, and there are so many more women compared to say mechanical. Um what do you think it is that draws girls to chemistry more than to say physics or mechanical?
1: I think on the on the mechanical side, I think they do have more exposure to it in high school. Whereas mechanical engineering, we don't really get exposure to that in high school. And though even though when I was growing up, if, if my dad was working on the car or the lawnmower or whatever, I was yeah. out there with him. That was just yeah. the way it worked. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think that most girls were like that. And and nowadays I don't think even men work on the car. So I think um young girls are even gonna have less exposure to mechanical engineering.
0: Yeah. I mean, do you think your hands on experiences growing up is something that sort of opened your mind up to STEM subjects?
1: Um, I think it did open my mind up to it. And I also think that when I actually graduated and and then started working in chemical manufacturing, I think it made me less intimidated maybe by the equipment, because so much of the equipment is mechanical in a chemical plant. Mm. Um, I mean, there's chemistry going on inside the equipment, but, you know, it's all mechanical Um, equipment that's moving it (laughs) so there's a, a, a lot of mechanical equipment and I so I do think that helped me um learn the the mechanical equipment a lot faster and be less intimidated by it
0: so what was your career you know your studies and your career in chemical engineering like I mean I have no I have no real sort of like idea of what chemical engineers do
1: well, in in college, one of the things that really surprised me when I started in chemical engineering is I had no idea that one problem could take 10 hours to solve. <laughs> well, I don't know what what was your homework like in mechanical engineering? Were were your homework problems like that?
0: Well, I once I knew the rules, um it was pretty straightforward, but there were sort of like tricks and and assumptions that you had to really get before solving problems became easy. And so before understanding those tricks um it would take hours but i don't think the same kind of it wasn't as the same kind of time consuming as probably chemical engineering
1: yeah i think even if you knew what you were doing it would take hours to solve some of the problems that we did um but but in the manufacturing plant um You know we we we're just trying to a lot of it has to do with you know pressures and temperatures and are the reactions going are they not going why aren't they going um is it coming is the product coming out on spec or not you know why is it not in spec what do we got to do to fix and and correct that um so when i was working on the operations side it was it was a lot more about um the product you know and and making sure that it, it comes out with meeting the right specs Mm. and then part of my career was actually on the maintenance side and then so then that's a lot more about the equipment itself and make sure that um we're doing our predictive maintenance our preventive maintenance and then of course when it breaks down actually repairing it
0: wow that's so badass um (laughs) so it's so amazing to hear a woman talk about these things because it really just sounds so um it sounds like such an empowered position to be in. Um, how did you get there?
1: Well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's just the way it worked out. But yeah, when I think about some of the things that I did when I was, uh, especially in my earlier days in chemical manufacturing, I, I, my kids probably have no idea what I did. <laughs> when yeah. we would shut down the plant about every 18 months and we would go in and do all the internal inspections. And this was a sulfuric acid plant. So not the safest thing in the world. I mean, you've got the, the, um, the, the hazard of it getting on your skin, right? Cause that mm-hmm. could burn you being sulfuric acid, but then the inhalation hazard of it too, is very significant. And so, you know, we're wearing some of the inspections we did, we'd have a level BPP on, so you're, you know, fully, um, you're in a, uh, a, a Tyvek and you're, you've got a breathing air face mask on. And you're taped up, you got duct tape around your gloves, duct taped around your rubber boots, you know, duct tapes everywhere to make sure that no acid gets in. And then I've even done um, inspections of of hazardous waste chemical tanks. And there we have level A. So now we look like someone walking on the moon. You know what I mean? We're in totally encapsulated suits with the breathing air. You got the emergency on all of these. You have your emergency response team that's suited up just like you are on the outside of the vessel ready to come in in case something happens to you. And and I'm just thinking my kids probably have no idea what I did.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, did you dream of having a a lifestyle like this where you're kind of looking all (laughs) suited up in your, you know, protective gear?
1: I don't know if I just lived a sheltered life or not, but I had no idea, no idea what chemical engineers did. I, 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 I mean, if, if you think about what we do in school, they don't teach you how to do internal inspections of equipment, you know, in school. That's not part of our training. <laughs> so mm. you, you're just doing problems, right? You're solving problems with a pen, and a paper, and, and nowadays with a computer. But, yeah, no, I had no idea that that's what I would be doing.
0: So how did you end up there? Like, were you following your passions or was it just a series of promotions just because you happened to be good at something? You know?
1: So I started working in chemical manufacturing right out of college. And my first job, um, they called it process engineering. It was really project engineering though. So it was putting in, in you know, specking out and installing new equipment. So you're, you're specking it out, you know, what, what is it that we need? You're working with um, the company that's going to actually manufacture that vessel or provide if if it's just a pump or something, you know, you're working with the, the vendor on the design and fabrication and, um, going, doing the, especially on like, if you're getting a pressure vessel or something like that fabricated, you're going to be doing several inspections during the production process. And then you're working with contractors to actually install it. And then you're working with operations to um, go through the pre-startup and writing all the standard operating procedures. You're going through maintenance to make sure all the preventive maintenance, predictive maintenance, spare parts are set up. Um, and then you know actually being there on startup and making sure it works. And and it's it's so funny because if you ever start a project in a plant that doesn't work and it has some sort of issues forever and ever, that piece of equipment has your name on it. <laughs> And everyone right. just will have fun with that and give you a hard time. Blames for the you.
0: Rest.
1: Yeah, you're you're never gonna in, live that down forever and ever. You'll have that with you. Right. But um. So so that was my first job. So
0: was it a very pressurized job?
1: Um. I didn't think about it at the time. No. Now I look back at the stuff that I did and the responsibilities that I had, and it's just it mm. does seem pretty incredible. Um, yeah. Because you know you make a mistake, it it could cost. You know, people could get hurt if you make a mistake.
0: You you do strike me as being someone who just really takes a lot of responsibility and highly technical knowledge in her stride. Is that true?
1: Yes, I w- I would think so. Yeah, I, I um I'm, I my, I have an older sister, and, and I remember my uh, my parents' friends would say, you know that you know, your, your younger one is so serious, which is me, you know, you're so serious. Why, why is she so serious? Cause you normally would expect that in the older child. But my, my sister yeah. is, you know, she's the goofy one. She's the one that's laid back. She's the one that is the life of the party. <laughs> so we are very different.
0: <laughs> did she go into STEM?
1: She did not No, she went the business route and she went into sales and she's very, very successful at it. Um, you know, so she she definitely takes a, a, she's got a lot of personal power and a lot of, you know, sense of responsibility in making things happen. That So we, mm. we have that in common, but she went the business route.
0: Right. So what do you think, why do you think you went into something so academic?
1: I think it's because um, my dad was a, he he grew up very poor and he was a high school dropout. He got his GED. He went to the military. He went to the Vietnam War and um and he came back and he stayed in the military and he was very very intelligent and very very technical and i he probably wishes that he had the same opportunities that i had and that he could have been an engineer and so i i assume maybe he encouraged
0: it yeah but did you do the engineering for you or for him
1: i didn't know what i wanted to do with my life so um I probably started out because it's just what my parents encouraged me to do. But I mean, I I don't regret it. I mean, I think I had some I made a lot of great friends and um, had some experiences that are just probably uncommon.
0: Like what? What would be a good example of that?
1: Well, wearing those level A and level B suits doing internal inspections of acid towers. Yeah. <laughs> that would definitely be
0: Really helpful. sexy. Uh,
1: yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, talk about sexy. I remember when I first started at the chemical plant, there was another woman that worked there and I asked her, you know, how do you prevent having hard hat hair at the end of the day? Because we had to, you know, I had hair, <laughs> and we had to tuck our hair underneath our hard hat. So I put it in a ponytail, I tuck it in, it's underneath the hard hat. And she and I remember her saying we're not here to look good.
0: <laughs> was looking good actually important to you?
1: I think it was. I didn't care what it looked like at work, but after work, I wanted to look good. You know, <laughs> We usually meet uh, friends up after work and hang out at, you know, at Fridays or someplace and, you know, have a couple of beers. And you don't want to go there with hard hat hair.
0: <laughs> so how did you uh, get around that?
1: I just lived through it. I just lived in a ponytail and went anyways. I lived in Houston at the time. And in Houston during the summer, your makeup will literally melt off your face. It is just so hot. And of course, in the chemical plants, you know, we had to wear um, Nomex, which are not... Layers. Oh, yeah. You had to wear layers. And so you were just disgusting, really, honestly, at the end of the day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Was there ever a time in your career when you're wearing all these, like, protective suits where you just thought, what am I doing?
1: no 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 my no that never kept me from doing it unfortunately most of the friends that we were meeting after work were also in chemical plants and so we were all on the same boat i mean if you go on the houston ship channel there are so many plants they just know that those young people coming in at you know four thirty five o'clock that we're all the same
0: <laughs> yeah no expectations no like yeah they're the chemical people So I have so many questions, I don't even know like how to put them in order, but I'm just going to, I'm going to start with how did you make that switch from chemical engineering to financial planning and investment management and why?
1: So back in the uh, mid nineties, not too long after I'd finished up my master's, I started working with um, a financial advisor. That was another thing that my parents were very insistent on, you know, you need to start saving for retirement right away. You need to start working with the financial advisor that so they can start educating you and, and you're making good, smart, informed decisions. And so I did, and I became really fascinated um, with the work they did. And then in my Sunday school class, I had a certified financial planner in there and just talking to him about what he did also really fascinated me. And so I said then, that's gonna be my second career. But I had just finished up my master's. Mm-hmm. I was having a lot of fun at work. And I worked so hard on that master's. There was no way I was going to walk away from that. And I couldn't believe how many of my girlfriends that I went to college with or that I was working with that did walk away. Once they started having children, they were like, well, no, Mm -hmm. I'm going to stay home and take care of my kid now. And I'm thinking, that school must have been a lot easier for you than it was for me, because I'm not going to walk away after all that hard work. (laughs) Yeah. So, um so I knew from, from the early 90s I, I knew that this was going to be my second career. And I, I worked my way up. I went you know from the, the project work to being a process engineer as you know assigned to a, a production area, to being a superintendent of that area, to being an operations manager of the plant, um, moved over to the dark side as we kind of call it just for fun, moved over to the maintenance manager position, and then became plant manager. And the the way manufacturing works, um, you get paid very, very well, but you work so many hours. You work really, really, really long hours. And the higher up you go, well, now you got to throw into travel into that too. And it just got to be too much. I mean, I I was probably gone a week and a half a month. I was working 70 hours a week. And every time I kept saying, well, we just got to get through this time period. And then we'll be able to, you know, work more normal hours. It just never happened. It never happened that we could work more normal hours. And, and manufacturing has gotten so lean in the last 20 and 30 years, that you just you just work so much. My, my husband is still in manufacturing. And, you know, he, he leaves the house before any of us get up and he gets home around eight to nine o'clock at night. I I give him dinner and he falls asleep on the couch (laughs) and then he gets up the next morning and does it again. So manufacturing, I I just couldn't do it anymore. I said, you know, I I just want to spend more time with, um, with my family. At this point, I have four grown children. I have one child left at home. I have two grandchildren and I just wanted to spend more time with my family. And so that's the reason why I, I finally made the switch.
0: How on earth does someone who's working 70 hours a week manage to have four children? Five.
1: (laughs) So, um, well, I wasn't, starting out, I probably worked, you know, 50 and 60 hours a week earlier in my career. Um, Of course, that was before lean manufacturing hit and they really started cutting back people. But, um, you know, so at that time I I had a nanny. When my um, oldest kids were, were young, I had a nanny. And that helped a lot. Um, and then, honestly, it, it did get to my my last two years of, as working as a plant manager. Um, my husband decided to stay home and and take care of the kids because I was just worthless between my travel and the hours. I just couldn't I couldn't do it anymore. And he wasn't happy at his job anyway, so he stopped working for a while, um, and and became. A stay home dad, and he did everything. I mean, before him working, I would get up oh, wow. on Saturday mornings. I would get up at around you know four or five o'clock. I would go to the twenty-four-hour grocery store, and I would do my grocery shopping then, um, and, so that when the kids woke up, you know, I was I was done with my chores, and I could actually spend time with them on the weekend.
0: Gosh, I mean, your husband sounds incredibly supportive of you.
1: Yes, you can't do it without a supportive spouse. That's that's for sure.
0: I don't know how to say this without sounding stereo like i'm stereotyping but women that go into stem or you know really pursue a higher education and you know are very alpha female at work sometimes do tend to struggle to meet partners it doesn't sound like you had that problem
1: no but um you're right i i, I remember seeing an article probably in the early 2000s, maybe in the late 90s, about alpha females. I didn't know what an alpha female was to then. But my whole career, so I'm 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 shorter than five three and I weighed
0: oh wow.
1: I weighed about a hundred and six pounds. So I was a pretty small person. <laughs> but I remember God. telling me men that worked for me that you know you're so intimidating. <laughs> like, how can I be intimidating?
0: <laughs> wow. That is so great to hear because I get called that all the time and I feel like I'm a little kitten uh but people think I'm like a lion. So why were you intimidating?
1: I don't know. I don't feel like I am. I don't know. I don't know. But even my husband told me that that uh that I come across intimidating even you know whenever before we started dating, you know, I was kind of intimidating. I was just so confident and I don't know. I, I know earlier in my career I was you know, if you want something done, I'm the person you give it to because I, I get it done. Uh and to this right. day if you want No nonsense done, kind one. of woman. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know why that seems that comes across intimidating, but I guess it does.
0: And did you know that you wanted to have a family and or did it just happen?
1: No, I I um
0: I I don't,
1: I'm not a medical doctor, but I think there is something hormonal that just happens to some women. (laughs) And you just like, I just got to have a kid. I got to have a kid. (laughs) So um, yeah, I, I I did know I wanted to have children. I always wanted to um, have a big family. And, and so I, I I thought I'd have it all when I was young, you know, again, this is back in the early nineties and I'm thinking, Oh, I can have it all. I can have an awesome career and I can have a great uh, a great marriage and I can have great children, I can do it all. <laughs> it's not that easy.
0: It's interesting that you do bring up the this term of having it all because I always ask my guests on every show, what does having it all mean to you? So do you think you have achieved it all?
1: Um, I think that I... I had to make sacrifices on the family side that I wish I had not made. Like I said, you know, not spending as much time with my children going up as I should have. Um, I, I do regret that. And I think that's the reason why I finally just said enough's enough, you know, I'm I'm going to start spending more time. Um, when the, the last three were at home to the first two were already gone at that point, but there, were, I still had three at home at that point, And I just said, I, I got to stay home right more.
0: Um, do you think it's affected them?
1: I think they see their mom as a very um, strong, independent woman that gets things done. But um, a, yeah. a lot of their friends' moms are not like me. A lot of their friends' mom mm. um, either didn't work, you know, we've just, for whatever reason, we ended up living in neighborhoods where the other moms don't work. Um, so that's,
0: yeah.
1: I, I think they feel they were were shortchanged.
0: Right, because sometimes it can be incredibly inspiring to have such a go-getting mum like you.
1: Yeah, I think on the one hand, they're proud of me. You know, like when they talk up to their friends, you know, they're proud of me. But I think on the other hand, it's they they didn't get the same um, nurturing and, and time with mom that mm. other kids got.
0: Yeah, I mean, so for that reason, do you now sort of see this term of having it all differently because when you first mentioned the term it was very much like a checklist like gotta have this gotta do that you know now how do you see having it all as a concept
1: i guess i don't associate myself anymore with that term that i'm trying to have it all although maybe i still am to some Mm, extent but i've just switched the priorities around um now i just i really enjoy spending time with my uh with my grandkids my my one child at home um i'm home most days when she gets home from school um maybe once a week twice a week at most am i not there when she gets home from school Um, i'm there when she leaves in the morning and and i try to be home when she gets home at night um and then i i watch my i babysit my grandbabies um once every two weeks so they get to see them they live about two hours away so they're not you know immediately close right.
0: gosh i mean honestly like hearing about your life like it just sounds like you really do have it all i mean an amazing job and a very male-dominated well it's not it doesn't sound that male-dominated actually
1: um and, and it really was though <laughs> I'm being kind, leaving the male, male oh, was part it? out. Okay. But yeah, it was definitely male-dominated. Definitely.
0: Is that because women sort of dropped out by the time of graduation, and so really it was the men that was left?
1: Yeah, I think I focus on the women that I did work with. Um, there was very few, and so when I talk, you know, to you, I, I do mention the ones that I worked with because I've always enjoyed that. But you know, when you, when you go into a, a meeting, so the daily meeting in, in the plant, there's probably 30 people in the room and two might be women.
0: Right. Wow. Gosh. Um,
1: and then you go travel to, to business meetings or conferences. And again, you know, there's just a, a handful of, of women in the room. Um, you could be the only plant manager that's mm. female. I mean, it's. it's...
0: That's, a, that's a real shift from a 50 50 split at university.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I, assume, I think some of the women chose not to be in um, manufacturing once they had children. They decided to just go ahead and, and move out. Manufacturing is a hard place. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that uh, when we would do our, our turnarounds and, and they would hire contractors to come in and do the maintenance crews, they would whistle at us. Um, we had truck drivers that would come in the oh, plant gosh. and they would be like, Hey, you know, let's, let's go out for dinner sometime. And it's like, well, no, I'm, I'm married. Well, that's okay. I am too. <laughs> it's like, "Well, oh, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I mean, you're, you're, all your employees are men. I'm trying to, I I've had some female operators work for me, but most of them are men. Um, I've never had a female maintenance person work for me though. They've, they've always been men on the maintenance side.
0: Right. I mean, sometimes it's kind of awkward talking about gender splits because um, I think sort of the latest generations don't really want to have to, um, what's the word, uh, differentiate between being a man and a woman. Um, they just want to be themselves. It's kind of like this new way of looking at ourselves. Um but were you conscious of being female in your chemical engineering career?
1: Definitely. Yeah, I remember when I was hired in, um, you know, I was told, oh, you got hired because you're female. And then the, the way they did the, mm-hmm. the cost reports, you could tell how much I made because from one month to the next month, you could see what the jump in, in increase was on the salaries in my engineering department. And so then they figured out how much I made. And they're like, oh, you got paid that because you're female. Every time I got a promotion, it was because I was female.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: So the older people, the older men were probably more intelligent and more discreet with their thoughts. But the ones that were my peers, they had no problems at all telling me that everything was because I was female.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And how did that make you feel?
1: Uh, it would probably pushed me to work harder to prove them wrong and to prove that, no, I, I earned this. I'm, I'm worth it and I've earned this.
0: Mm. Yeah, I totally relate to that. I found it exhausting having to work harder to prove myself because I just thought, I'm just as intelligent as all of you. Why am I having to work harder because I'm female? And I kind of, I think I grew a little bit resentful about that.
1: My resentment really came at the, the upper levels, I guess, because, you know, I, I had to deal with it when I was um, at the entry levels of my career and it was my peers, but that never changed. I, and I guess I thought once I got up to be like a plant manager and stuff, I just assumed that my peers at that level would treat me different and they didn't. It was, it just continued.
0: Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Right. So did you ever do anything about it or... Did you just get to a point where you left?
1: No, I didn't do anything about it. And I didn't leave because of the, the men. I, I left, honestly, because I just wanted more time with my family. I mean, I, I did get... I was definitely fed up with it. And um, if I think about it, you know, there's some amount of resentment and and anger. And, and so I do hope the newer generations don't have to go through it. That would be really nice. It, it, I find it hard yeah. to believe because I know when I was... In my twenties, I thought, "Oh, that that time period's behind us. Women don't have to go through that anymore," and I was dead wrong. So, hopefully, mm-hmm. it really, honestly has changed for women now.
0: Yeah, and for women that might be going through that today, like, what advice would you give them for getting through that kind of treatment?
1: You know, I think it's just a um, a reflection of the men and their insecurities yeah and so when you recognize that they're feeling insecure um, and I I think that has a lot to do with how we raise our men right we raise the men to be the leaders of the family we raise the men to be um, more intelligent in the household Um, it's it's just a societal thing it's a culture and um, so when they when I have a woman that's they're equal or they're superior it's not comfortable for them
0: mm. yeah and so I guess it is just kind of knowing within yourself that it's not personal which I think must be that well I don't think I know that's the hardest thing in the world to just go okay they're being mean to me but it's not personal <laughs> like it just it's exhausting
1: yeah, it can be exhausting.
0: So when you made your switch to financial planning and investment management, how was that?
1: So this is a, another male dominated industry. <laughs> um probably not as much as engineering yeah. or manufacturing, but still definitely male dominated. Um, but uh, you know, the, the hardest part of that was first of all, my pay got cut down to about a third of what it used to be. So that was oh, wow. um okay. kind of a bummer. Yeah, that was a big, which I knew that. I knew I was going to be starting all over again. Um, so there was that. And and then sales. I've never had to to be in sales. And, and it definitely gave me a much more appreciation. When I think about all the time I worked for in manufacturing and, and listening to the salespeople when we weren't doing what they needed us to do. Um, I definitely wow. have a, a new appreciation yeah. for sales.
0: And- How did you cope with this idea of starting from scratch?
1: Um, You know, I I so badly wanted to spend more time with my family that I really, I mean, it was kind of a bummer, but
0: um, I I have enough
1: confidence. Yeah, you have to have your priorities. And I had enough confidence that I would build my income back up that, you know, it would take three to five years and and then it'll be, you know, back to where it was and, and I would be okay.
0: Gosh, I mean, you know, it takes a huge amount of courage to start over. Um, you must have a lot of self belief.
1: I, I must have too. Well, you know, when I think about it from a third party position, I, I feel like I must have. But then there's there's t- there's definitely times where, you know, it's like, why am I doing this to myself? It's so hard. Because not only did I start a new career about five years ago, last summer, I decided to go um, out on my own and become an independent um, advisor and and financial planner. And so now I'm an entrepreneur as of last summer. And so, yeah, it was a whole new level of courage. And there goes the pay again. I start over again. (laughs) (laughs) It's like every time we build our savings up, I I end up starting over again. Then we have to go through savings while I build it back up. Uh, but this is the last time. I promised my husband, this is it. This is the last time I'll make you start over again with me.
0: <laughs> but what's so amazing about you is you just sound like someone that just wants to keep growing and evolving and challenging yourself.
1: That is true. You know, I, I'm always learning. I am, You know, we're so lucky today because the way I used to learn is I would get books on tapes and then books on CDs and and now we've got so much available to us that you don't have to pay for um, all the podcasts, all the YouTube, just you know, sit down with Google and you could stay on there forever because everything you want to know is is available now and it's and it's free. You just sit down and, and and look for it and you can find it. So I yeah, I'm definitely one of those people that continues to to learn.
0: So as a person that is constantly growing, have you needed support? From others, or are you one of these individuals that can just uh, go for what she wants on her own
1: no i I would definitely say I have a dependency on my husband.
0: <laughs> oh.
1: I know that people talk yeah. about you, you know you shouldn't be codependent, but I, I don't know how you get through life without counting on at least one person, um, but my husband has definitely been a big fan, a big supporter. Um, It did take him a while to talk him into letting me start over this, this most recent time and to, you know, do my own business and become an entrepreneur. Um, It took probably nine months for him to be like, okay. (laughs) But once he said, okay, you know, he was 110% behind me and and he has been, he's, he's, he's been phenomenal.
0: Yeah. sounds like you have a really awesome marriage, I must say. And, I find that particularly interesting because um, as women in STEM, we tend to be quite go-getting and kind of have a kind of masculine energy, for want of a better term. So to find a man when you have this kind of like self-sufficient air about you is a mystery to me, I must say. What are your views on that?
1: I think it's a public thing, though. Publicly, I, I have uh, an outwardly, I guess it goes back to that introvert, extrovert. You know, I, I am an extrovert and I get my energy and my confidence, honestly, f- from my husband. My husband, I definitely have a dependency thing. I know that. <laughs> Fortunately, he doesn't take advantage of it and, and use it uh, for for mean reasons or anything. But if, if, if he did not love me, if he did not believe yeah. in me, if he did not support me, Um, and I had to do this all on my own, you know, I, I, Mm. I don't, it would be so much harder.
0: Well, thank you for your honesty on that. Cause I think, you know, there are women out there that are really just fighting to be their best selves. And so it's kind of disarming to hear you say, you know, I've really needed my husband throughout this, um, process because it just makes you sound very human. 'Cause you know, you often read or hear people talking about personal growth and just saying, Come on, you can do this, you know, you don't need anyone and and it's a very lonely road sometimes, particularly when you're in STEM and you're actually, you know, one of very few women doing it and don't really have anyone to turn to. So, you know, I do really appreciate you saying that, you know, you have needed the support of your husband and
1: Yeah, I, I don't I couldn't imagine being married to someone who wasn't supportive or didn't care one way or the other, you know, I, I couldn't imagine that. Yeah. Yeah, I I would think you'd have to find it somewhere. So if it's not your husband's, it's, you know, it's gotta be, you know, your best friends or something.
0: Right. Yeah. So what do your kids think about what you've achieved?
1: Well, my oldest two, um, I think they were mad at me when I changed careers and, you know what the real reason was who knows maybe they were angry and resentful i didn't do it sooner um but you know what they said is well you know that's going to change the lifestyle and the standard of living for the rest of the kids the fact that you're starting over and now you're not making any money and we're not much money um but then i did really well at it and they grew and matured a little bit and so they they were okay about it and and then now last summer, when I decided to go independent and, and become an entrepreneur, they really didn't say anything at all. <laughs> I guess it's... They were like, we trust our... okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. How many girls and boys yeah. do you have?
1: My oldest is a boy and um, and then I have four daughters.
0: Oh, wow. And are they go-getting women like you?
1: Um. Some, yeah. I would say my oldest daughter, she's she's definitely uh an independent thinker. Um very very intelligent. She uh she scored a thirty-four out of thirty-six on the ACT. Very smart. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah, she's really smart. And and she's very um independently minded. She's a, I think she is a lot like me though. I think that she does lean a lot on her husband. N- not in a needy way, but just in a I just need that assurance way, you know, just, am Mm -hmm. I doing okay? You know, as long as you Mm -hmm. tell me I'm doing good and you support me and you love me, Hey, I can still, I can keep being a, a tough woman. Um, my, my next daughter, so she's the middle child. Uh, she's the most loving and caring of all of them. She's always been, um, just very loving and nurturing to everybody, so I think she kind of has a different personality. She's definitely more loving and more nurturing than me. She, mm. She's probably who I'd like to be. <laughs> and then the the next child, um, she's also she also did really good on her ACT. She got a thirty three. She was trying very hard to beat my oldest daughter. She's kind of disappointed she didn't beat her, but um, she's. Uh, I think she's going to be like me too. She's right now going uh, to DePaul to, to she wants, she's doing pre-med. She's doing biochemistry right now.
0: Oh, wow. Incredible.
1: And then my youngest daughter is, uh, she's only 11. So she's really young. So we'll see how that works yeah. out, what she decides to do. She wants to be a baker when she grows up. So,
0: Gosh, I'm just, I'm just sitting here smiling. I, I honestly, I think you're such an amazing role model. Really. Like it's, you know, it's it's a shame that this podcast is anonymous and um, we don't get to see you because the idea that there is um, this incredible woman that's walking around the planet that has really achieved so much, you know, in every aspect of being female, you know, from being a mother to a wife to um, someone very career driven and successful. I mean, it, it's it's just so inspiring. You know, how do you manage to maintain this air of humility about you? I think I've always struggled with self-esteem, I guess, because I
1: don't feel like I'm normal. You know, when you think about the the normal, I'm not the normal engineer because I'm not a man. I'm not the normal woman because I'm not.
0: A domestic goddess. Um, or maybe you are <laughs> in the traditional sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, at all. <laughs> No, no. My husband's one of those people. He's a polymath. He is amazing. He is so intelligent. Um, technically, he's very, very smart. He's got the—he's a walking encyclopedia. He's got an incredible mem- memory, but his artistic skills are amazing. You know, he's such an artist, and and that's what I see in my eleven-year-old. She is more like him. She could be a polymath because she's so smart. Does very well at school, but she's also such a an artist and very very creative um but I I, so I think that's in terms of my self-esteem I just never felt like I I fit in that that alpha female you know I just I just never fit in
0: Mm. and did that ever cause you grief in any way or did it fuel you to achieve the way you have
1: I think it did both yeah I think it definitely caused me me grief um and and it also just it made me want to to work harder and and improve myself, be worthy um, of people saying, "Wow, you know that's you know she's doing a good job."
0: Right. So it sounds like you converted the grief into rocket fuel.
1: <laughs> I think so <laughs>
0: for your career. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because some people can get quite weighed down. Um, by the fact that they are different or, you know, they they are good at STEM subjects when they're not really supposed to be according to societal expectations.
1: Yeah, I'm a silver linings kind of person. I always look for the good in a situation. And I think that definitely has helped me.
0: As we close the show, I just wanted to ask, like, you know, and you, you might give this advice to your own children, but for any girls and, you know, women that have been incredibly inspired by your story. What advice would you give them um, that you've picked up along the way in terms of you know trying to be your best self?
1: I think it's important to follow your dreams. And it's also very important to surround yourself with really, really good people and, and put those relationships first. I think that was a mistake I made when I left Houston. I had such great relationships and I, I moved up to Chicago for a promotion and, and left you know that, that whole support network behind. And that was a mistake. So um, when, when you find a place where you've got a, a, a network of people who love you and care about you and support you, really, really treasure that and really value that and, uh, and don't walk away from it. Because it's hard to to create that again. You just you. I, I lived in Houston for eleven years. I created that network. It was awesome. Moved to Chicago for twelve years, and in that entire twelve years, I never really created that again. And then I I, I moved to where I'm at now in Central Illinois, and and fortunately I've been able to create that network again, um, and have you know a lot of good uh, girlfriends here. So you don't walk away from that.
0: Mm. It can be quite difficult asking for help or seeking support. I think sometimes, um, I don't know if it's girls or I don't know if it's a gender thing. But I think if you are incredibly smart, um, it can sometimes feel a bit like defeat to uh, need people. <laughs> Do you know what I mean?
1: You just got to find those other really smart women. Because, I mean, it's not like you... Yeah. It's not like you're consciously thinking, oh, I'm, I'm going to find some girlfriends because I need people. You, you, you're consciously right. thinking that I'm going to find some girlfriends that are going to be friends and have fun with and people to spend time with.
0: Yeah. I guess it's finding your tribe, people that are like you.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and really hold on to that tribe when, you, when you've got them.
0: How much of your experience was based on luck, do you think? And how much of it was based on hard work?
1: i think i would tell you it was (laughs) mostly hard work i mean you you definitely get lucky we all get lucky right um but you got to set yourself up for luck you got to set yourself up for those opportunities when they come along so it's it's you know 95 percent what you do and how you do it what do you think
0: well who is it that quoted it was it einstein that said luck is 95% perspiration and 5% something else. I need to find that quote somewhere. Or luck is where preparation meets opportunity.
1: Yeah.
0: And it sounds like you have worked incredibly hard and you do really deserve everything that um, you have accomplished. Um, But, yeah, I I must say that your calm uh, delivery of everything, I think, has played a major part in that because – you just sound very much in control of um, your your world. And I think that is often what allows us to succeed.
1: You know, I've had a lot of friends over the years tell me that, that I, I seem so in control, but then they get to know me more personally. And, and, you know, I share more about, you know, oh, this is going on, this is going on or whatever. And they're like, oh, wow, you, you are normal. <laughs> than I am (laughs) yeah yeah I had teenagers and and you know having teenagers is the same for everybody and so yeah I mean and I have a marriage right marriage is the same for everybody you got your times where you're just not very happy with each other and and the same thing with your career you know you get overlooked for promotions or you know you got to work with someone you really don't want to work with I mean all that happens
0: yeah Well, you know, you admitting that is incredibly comforting, but it's also massively inspiring to hear how gracefully you handle it. And and also kind of with that sort of air of acceptance that that's just life. Well, it's been amazing chatting to you. I wish you were one of my tribe. I feel like you are having been a guest on Silence. Um, You've been incredibly inspiring. And wow, I want to be like you when I grow up. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you, Dr. Shani. I appreciate it. And uh, I, I appreciate you doing this podcast to support the women in STEM and, and to encourage, you know, new women to go into the field.
0: What an amazing woman in STEM. Gosh, I mean, talk about courage and bravery. And she just talks with so much grace and ease about all the really challenging things that she has gone through i mean it, it must have taken so much tenacity to have had the experiences she's had i mean i'm i'm utterly blown away with inspiration thank you so much for listening this week don't forget to leave some reviews and comments and catch you next week on silence